Welcome to Between the Fire and the Grind, where we discuss life, love, money, and the pursuit of an extraordinary life. Your host has been navigating these topics in real life and with clients for nearly three decades. Adrian brings a unique perspective to the conversation, adeptly fusing financial counseling, financial life planning, and life as a military spouse. Managing your money is about more than saving for retirement. Financial independence is about more than quitting your job. It's about freedom, security, and building and living a great life. It's about being present for your kids and for your parents. It's about making the world a better place. It is about ordinary people achieving extraordinary things through the simple and powerful process of financial life planning. Hi, I'm Adrian Ross, a military spouse, a military mom, and founder of Clear Insight Financial Planning. My mission is helping you figure out how to use your money so you can live a great life of freedom, security, and fulfillment. Today we are talking about what the rest of the world is talking about, how to get through another month of staying home amid the COVID-19 crisis. One of my favorite inspirational quotes, quotes comes from Arthur Ashe, start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. I really like this quote because it focuses on what's most important, which is controlling the things that you can control, starting where you are, using what you have, and doing the things that you can do. I think it's a really great quote. I mean, when I looked at it and took away the the points, it was, you don't have to have a million dollars. You don't have to have this crazy amount of net worth to, to think about financial planning, right? And to, to think about it deliberately. Like, it's not like Scrooge McDuck, right? We don't all have to be swimming in our giant, our, our giant vault, right? You can start with $5. You can start with $10. The key thing is that you start. And I think that, you know, for you and I, we're well prepared for economic downturns based on where we grew up in a county that has been in an economic downturn since we were kids, which, quite frankly, was a long time ago. Um, And so... Speak for yourself. (laughs) So... There's a lot to the whole using what you have and doing the things that you can do that can help you get through. I think for a lot of people, it starts with just taking a look at how you're using your money. And as much as we don't like the budget word, it means taking a look at your budget. I think that's important. I look at it in the terms of money's a resource, right? Just like food in the pantry or gas in the car or... You know, anything that we consume, it's it's something that we have that's a finite amount, and we need to, to make the best use of that limited resource. And really, all a budget does is it gets all of that information out of your head and on paper or on an Excel spreadsheet and lets you take a look at it in a more um, logical, analytical way so that you can use that resource in a strategic way to help you have the best chance of getting through the next four weeks in the most successful way possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, it would, it, it would seem like, you know, being able to, to separate out the emotion that, that comes with just discussing anything with money. And if you couple it with, you know, the craziness that that's going on in the world, which is packing a heck of a lot of, of emotion there. 
like being able to put that the the thoughts down onto a piece of paper right it allows you to distance yourself from that emotion right and then make those deliberate choices yeah and people are really really terrible at estimating and at keeping track in their head like i talk to a lot of people and they're like oh well, i just keep track of my bills in my head and as a whole, I'm sure there are some individuals out there, but as a whole, we are terrible at estimating and keeping track of stuff in our head. That's why, you know, when I sit down and work with somebody, if we go through and add up, you know, total spending on certain categories like eating out, they're always shocked at how much they spent. And it's because we're just not good at it. Um, debit cards, credit cards, things like that kind of put so, too much distance between ourselves and our spending. And so we don't keep good track of it. Um, Using cash is a great way to just build awareness about how you spend. And there's a lot of scientific evidence behind that that talks about how using cash actually triggers different parts of your brain. It lights up different parts of your brain when you break out a $20 bill and have to actually surrender that for something than if you swipe your credit card. So even though it sounds super simple, one of the most important things that you can do to build awareness around how you spend is simply switching to cash. Well, it seems like it'd be also very timely in in today's environment, right, where everybody's worried about scarcity and they're worried about what's going to happen with the financial markets and whether their, their financial institution is going to be there for them, you know, making runs on ATMs. Yeah, if you got the cash, then you don't need to make a run on an ATM. Yes, and I, I I believe that our financial institutions are going to be just fine. I don't think we need to go pull all of our money out of the bank. But I also think that you know having cash on hand is just smart practice um, because it lets you address unexpected needs or opportunities that come up. Wait, Adrian, are you saying? That cash in your portfolio is is not an anchor? <laughs> well, I know that for the last decade, everybody's been talking about how cash doesn't do anything for you, and it's too much of a drag on your portfolio, and blah, blah, blah. But I can tell you that the people that have cash in their portfolio right now are feeling pretty good and just waiting for the opportunity to deploy it. Okay, so one of the questions that we've heard a lot is, how do I prioritize what to spend my money on? Um, And obviously, the most important thing is having secure shelter, having enough to eat, covering those basic necessities. Once you get beyond that and you're talking about prioritizing debts, then we're looking at other things that we need to live our lives Um, as successfully as possible. Car loans tend to be those because we will get out of this, we will go back to work, and we're going to need transportation. Um, If you have rent or lot payments or mortgages, those things take priority as well. Uh, Student loans recently got put on hold. Um, In other times, student loans tend to be a high-priority debt because they are not dischargeable typically in bankruptcy. Um, The federal government has the ability to take your tax refund and things like that if you don't pay. So student loans tend to be one of those things that 
maintain a high priority to be paid. But thankfully, the CARES Act put your interest and principal payments on hold until September 30th, which is pretty awesome. Um, And then the other thing that we want to do is make sure that we are either paying any co-signed debts. So if we co-signed for someone else or if someone else co-signed for us, we want to make sure those get paid or we talk to the person who's our co-signer to see if they are able to make that payment. What we don't want to do is jeopardize those relationships because honestly, it's usually your mom or your dad or your brother or sister, somebody like that, that's co-signing for you to be able to get a new car. Um, and we want to protect those relationships. No, that makes sense. I mean, the, the, the relationship I think is, is key, particularly again in, in the current environment. I mean, that relationship is an asset, right? Yeah. It is something that you want to protect. So when it comes to prioritizing debts and what to pay and what not to pay when money is tight and you just don't have enough, um, everybody's situation is different. And that's really the time when sitting down and talking to somebody to help you navigate through that process is really a good idea. If you don't have anybody to talk to, then at the very least, make a list of everything that you are trying to juggle. So all the payments that you need to make and go through and kind of rank them in the ones that you think are the most important down to the ones that you think are the least important. And then find out if there's any resources that are out there right now during this crisis that can help you make those payments or delay those payments until you get a job and things like that. I think that's a fantastic yeah, suggestion, Adrian. And, and your point about this is a, a key uh, point in time to, to reach out and touch base with somebody who can help you kind of think through the prioritization in a dispassionate or in an unemotional manner. I mean, absolutely important. So um, the next thing I have been thinking about when it comes to what do we do to kind of get through this next month has to do with prepping. And it seems a little bit weird because I know that prepping is theoretically something that you would have done last year um, or last month. But the reality is uh, that here we are, right? Like we are where we are. We're going to start where we have. We're going to use what we have um, and we're going to do what we can. And that means even starting prepping or continuing our prepping strategies, even though we're in the midst of a crisis. Um, And the first thing that comes to my mind, and I know this is really going to sound weird, but is to keep saving. Wait, it wasn't to rush out and get some toilet paper? It was not to rush out and get more toilet paper, unless, of course, you are out and you need more toilet paper. Um, But yeah, so keep saving. So even though money is tight, you have less money, you still don't want to give up every single dollar that you have, right? You want to hold some back for yourself. So even if your saving level has decreased quite a bit, you still want to keep saving. Um, And the other thing to your point about rushing out to get toilet paper is that I think we're going to keep seeing supply chain disruptions. And what that means is being a consistent strategic shopper. So don't wait until your supplies are all gone, but go out on a somewhat regular basis and look for those things that you're missing. You just recently scored us some toilet paper. 
It, and it was it, it was like an MMA fight at Costco. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was BJ Penn there for a minute trying to come off the top rope. And did you get that? Did you get that awesome bale of Costco paper on the first try? No, it yeah, it was pretty interesting. Uh, that was a that was a five uh, a five time evolution, I think, to get my my bale of Costco. So, um, you know, have a running list of things that you need and keep it with you so that you can go make multiple attempts if necessary and take advantage when you see that item in stock that you can get, you know, one or two of them. I'm not talking about hoarding. I'm not talking about clearing out the entire meat counter. I'm talking about um, planning ahead and shopping ahead so that when you you have the opportunity that you can seize that opportunity. That you got to look forward in time and space and think about, okay, well, what is it that I absolutely need? And what is it that I'm going to want later this week, next week, two weeks from now? Right? It doesn't mean that you rush out to the, to the store and <clears throat> you know, buy a bunch of sardines because you know, sardines stay, stay in the pantry for a while. If you don't eat sardines, then you probably shouldn't be rushing out to get sardines. <laughs> That's a good point. I read somewhere that the sale of spam has skyrocketed in the last month, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, Okay, it is it is shelf stable meat, but I really don't want a spam sandwich tomorrow. I don't know, man. A spam sandwich sounds pretty good. You fry that sucker up with an egg. Oh, that's some tastiness. <laughs> so, um, but your point taken about time horizon and looking forward, that's one of the hardest things for our brain to do when we're in a crisis. But it's also one of the most important things to do. And it is really a fundamental part of financial planning, right? So if we can break ourselves of the habit of thinking only in this moment, this day, this hour, this week, and we can start planning ahead, then we're going to be in much better shape. And Really, when I think about prepping and supplies, what I'm thinking about is buying yourself time to figure out your next move. For me, this means that we have six months worth of coffee downstairs because if the coffee supply chain breaks down, I do not want to have to quit our coffee habit cold turkey. So I've got a little runway where I can slowly wean myself off my caffeine habit and not go crazy. And um, thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, when I look at, at at what you're saying and and I think about how do we put that into practice, um, part of it is understanding what levels you have. When I was in the Marines, we always talked about stockage levels, right? And there was a there was a threshold that we would hit. At that point, I would have to order more. And I think that if you take that approach with your pantry, right, when you get down to 17 cans of spam or 850 rolls of toilet paper, it might be time to order the next load from Costco. And I suspect that like you can take some of those practices and translate them out into your financial life as well. Well, yeah, I, that's that's sort of like the fundamental idea behind saving and investing and not spending everything that you have is you have short-term money, right? So that's maybe money that you have at home, um, cash on hand, 
that's super, super short-term money. Then you have money that's in a savings account, and then you might have money that's in different investments for the long term. And you're basically staging when you do that and you have, you know, uh, money in a savings account, and then maybe you have short-term money and you have medium-term money and long-term investments all the way along like that. What you're doing is you're, you're staging supplies for your future self. It's just, you're staging them in a liquid and tradable format called investments and money. No, I think that's good. You know, just like a budget, I mean, you can extrapolate that that budget out to what vehicles do you need in the next five, 10 years? You know, where do you want to live? What's your housing requirement? What are those repair bills that, that you're going to expect to have on your house or your apartment? You know, are you expecting that your job is going to, to transition? Are you looking for a transition? To <laughs> I think that job? we should all expect that our job at some point is going to transition and probably sooner than we want. Unless, of course, you're a GS employee, then you're good to go. But (laughs) um, I think that all too often we don't anticipate changes or we just think that things will always stay the same. And so we're not prepping for future changes, Um, which brings us right to the working situation. So a lot of people are still working, working from home, but then they have questions about what they should do with their money. No, absolutely. And and I think that this notion of, of change being constant, again, a lot of scientific literature about the, you know, the, the constant nature of change. And, you know, I think we, we're probably on pretty, pretty sound scientific ground when we, we bring that up. But the change, I, I think sometimes people don't recognize it. So let's take the, the working from home, right? Budgets and your expenses are going to naturally change from working, you know, working at home. Like if you're driving and commuting to work, now you don't have to spend the same amount in fuel. You don't have to spend the same amount in maintenance of your car, right? What are you going to do with that that money that you could potentially recapture? Apparently, you're going to buy toilet paper. <laughs> well, well, there is that. <laughs> um, but it is an additional, it's another opportunity where you can take that money and reapply it strategically so that you are in the best position possible to make it through this whole COVID situation. If you're still working and getting paid um, and you have a retirement plan through your employer, then just sticking with your plan at least at a minimum, to get the match is a great idea. If you've had a cut in pay and you need to ratchet that back, if you can at least maintain enough to get that employer match so that you're not giving up any money. But again, everybody's situation is a little bit different, and this is where that individual planning part comes in. I think we all, this is a great opportunity for every single person to kind of reassess their total financial situation and look at, you know, where you are, where you want to be, and things that you might want to change and things that you might want to continue. For some people, the layoffs and the furloughs have already happened. And for those people, it's important to focus on, again, 
what you can control. Control the things that you can control and don't, well, at least try not to get too hung up on the things that you can't control. And again, I think this is a place where those relationships come into play as well. If you are laid off and you know somebody who is still working, is there something that you can do to help them? Can you babysit for them? Can you um, do yard work for them? Is there a situation where you could do some temporary 1099 contract work? Anything that you can do to kind of help you get through the next few weeks. Make sure that you're applying for any state unemployment benefits quickly. Make sure that you follow through and get those applications done, even if the websites are a complete pain in the butt and keep crashing and all of that. You know, stay on it, even though it's frustrating. I would say, you know, when you're laid off, one of the first things that you can do too is start looking for what are you going to do next and start preparing for that job search. Yeah, this also seems like it would be a really good opportunity to reassess kind of what your skill sets are too. Yeah. I mean, we talk about kind of the what's going to happen post COVID-19 and you know, there's a, there's a lot of speculation on how the, the economy, the global economy is going to look. And I have no idea what it is. And I I would submit that many people don't know what it is. It'll probably be different. Maybe that means onshoring some, some manufacturing. Maybe it means kind of changing up what the, uh, the economic sectors look like in the U S and, and, you know, quite frankly, this might be a good time to, to reassess your skills and see where you can bolster some to, to take advantage of potential changes in, in the new economic normal. Yeah. I know like um, there were a lot of online courses that went free for people during the whole stay home, stay healthy orders. And so, you know, take advantage of the time that you now have and work on upgrading some skills, get a new certification. Uh, There's a lot out there in terms of online coursework that you can do. And a lot of it doesn't actually cost anything. The other thing is your uh, state employment agencies. A lot of times will pay or help offset the cost of retraining and things like that. And maybe you can't do that right now while we're all sitting at home together, but you can explore the resources that are out there in your community so that as soon as we do get to get out of our house and get back out there, are doing things that you know exactly what you want to do and you can go and start making those appointments and setting those things up and putting things into place. That's awesome. I think the the other thing I want to kind of circle back on the, the point where you talk about control what you can control and, and try not to worry about the stuff that you can't control. I mean, this really kind of plays into how we set up our budget too with what is a discretionary spending or expenditure and what is a mandatory expenditure. It certainly seems like maybe debt management kind of comes into this. Yeah, I think that right after 2008-9, then people were really paying close attention to taking on any debts and being more careful with that and trying to really reduce, aggressively reduce any outstanding debts and things like that. But then as the recovery went on, then, you know, there was a little bit more relaxed attitudes towards debts and things like that. And so this can be an opportunity to redouble efforts to pay things down and really prioritize and assess, you know, are you spending the money the way that you want to be spending your money? Because really it's more about 
are you spending your life energy in the way that you want to be spending your life energy? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, something that you and I have always talked to that, that that process needs to be a deliberate process. You need to deliberately think about what are your goals and what is it going to take to get to those goals. Yeah. And it's not fast sometimes. Like (laughs) sometimes it's really hard to answer some of those questions of, well, what do you want to do? What do you like doing? What's possible? And so, um, you know, I think it's important to kind of maybe have little conversations about that all along the way. Cause if you try to just answer that big giant, what do I want to do when I grow up question, it can feel really overwhelming. So, um, having conversations with people in your life where you talk about things that you like to do, things that you're good at, that can help trigger some ideas so that you can get a vision for what it is you really want to be doing. One of the things that we talk about on this podcast a lot is the differences between generations. And for me, and I think for you too, like kind of where we are is we are in that sandwich generation. So we have parents that are getting older and we have kids that are aging into adulthood. And, um, so our, one of our concerns that we're worried about as we kind of go through the whole COVID thing is helping the kiddos. Um, you know, we have a daughter who was laid off when they closed down the university. She worked in two of the labs and the labs all shut down. So, you know, there's that on the one hand. And then on the other hand are, you know, our parents who happen to live 14 hours away. And how do you help and support them? And I think that, you know, there's plenty of people out there that are our age that are going to find themselves wondering how they're going to manage their own cash flow. And so in that situation, I think about all the different options there are for non-cash support for, um, you know, family members, parents, kids, things like that. Uh, obviously, our generation, we've got a, a unique perspective. The millennials who, who came behind us and uh, the boomers who came uh, in front of us and Gen Z, who's kind of just starting to, to get up and moving, you know, they each have their own set of concerns. Um, and, and quite frankly, they, I think they, they each have their own benefits, right? There, there's, there's some pros and cons to, to being in each one of those generations. And when I look at it, you know, particularly in, in our situation where we've got kids and we've got parents who are getting up there in years and who are facing challenges, I go back to a lot of the first aid training that, that I had kind of going through the military, right? The first thing is you got to take care of yourself, right? You got to make sure that, that you're up and, and functioning and once you've done that, then you can help somebody else. You know, the way I, I translate this out into to finances is, is make sure that you're solid in your finances and that you're not being a burden to your kids or to your parents. From that standpoint, then you're in a much more advantageous position to help the parents out when they need it and help your kids out when, when they need it. What do you think about that? I think, you know, that's a solid strategy. You have to be able to help yourself before you can um, throw a lifeline to someone else. Um, That doesn't mean that you don't help other people. It just means that you make sure that your your own position is secure because it's not going to help anybody if all of a sudden 
everybody is in a difficult situation. So when I think about non-cash support, one of the things I think about is helping family members navigate and use community resources. That's one way. Um, A lot of times some of our parents aren't fully aware of what's out there. So helping them find that. And the same is true for the kids. So, you know, helping them walk through that process of applying for unemployment, helping them make sure that they're buying food that is affordable and that can stretch through a week and things like that. So kind of not necessarily always just immediately turning to cash, but also helping people navigate the things that are out there and use the resources that are available too. Oh, and it also sounds like, you know, some skills development too that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How best can you make a sandwich out of spam? <laughs> what is the... You can stretch your spam with some rice. <laughs> Tell you what, you know, there's something to be said for a little seaweed, spam, and rice. (laughs) So what was the thing that you ate as a kid the most that was like your parents' go-to stretch-the-budget meal? I remember with uh, my dad, we we used to do... He always called mulligan stew, where you'd start with like a pot of beans and throw some ham hocks in there and... And then it would just change throughout the week. Like we never, like that pot never emptied. It just got more stuff in it. And, you know, you'd take a, you'd take a scoop out and you'd throw in something else and let it cook for the next day. That's what I remember. Our go-to was always like uh, spaghetti or like meat and rice. So some sort of protein mixed up with a uh, whole grain, things like that, so that it would stretch out. And sometimes there were other random vegetables that we had thrown in the mix. So it was like spaghetti with chunks of zucchini, <laughs> or um, it was like hamburger and rice with seasoning and random vegetables sauteed and mixed in. <laughs> I-, I remember eating some of those. <laughs> I remember eating some of those over at your house. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of random what's in the cupboard for dinner. <laughs> Just remember, anything can go together. <laughs> and not all of it has to get cooked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, the next few weeks are going to be a little bit bumpy. Um, we thought about doing a podcast that didn't even talk about the COVID, but it's on everybody's mind, so we might as well talk about it. And it's going to be a bumpy few weeks. My encouragement to you is to look around, do the things that you can do, and control the things that you can control. So if you know somebody out there that needs a little help, make them a lovely mixture of ground beef and rice and what other random vegetables you can throw in and bring them some food. Or if you've got an extra bale of Costco toilet paper, share it out amongst your neighbors if they're running out. Just do a drive-by, no-contact deliver. Throw it out your car window on their porch. Um, Do the things that you can do to help the people around you. It's kind of the the modern day version of TP in somebody's house. <laughs> yeah, TPing somebody's house in the time of COVID would just <laughs> wing a pack of toilet paper at them. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, be healthy, be kind, stay safe, and stay well. Mm-hmm.